0: Well, welcome to our first attempt at a video message. Hope that this will uh, work out uh, well, but we're going to give it a try. Today we're going to be looking at uh, Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, when we're looking at the church at Smyrna, the church that suffered great persecution. In 1985, I sat in the student center of southwestern baptist theological seminary with a pastor from romania as he described what the church in his country was experiencing in terms of persecution and what he had personally endured the the torture the imprisonment that he had experienced and some of the scars on his face and his arms documented that his ordeal was genuine I sat there listening, almost in unbelief. How could people do such things to other people? That was my first personal encounter with real persecution of Christians. In God's providence, 15 years later, I traveled to Romania just as that country was emerging from communist domination. That's been, uh, that was in 2000. And I remember driving through Bucharest and seeing many of the buildings riddled with bullet holes and bomb blasts. The government was still very unstable and there was a lot of fear and suspicion. The roads were almost impassable in places. The streets were filled literally with packs of wild dogs, with destitute beggars and with gangs of orphaned children all of them just trying to survive Uh, food was scarce and 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 people were eating watered down soups and heavy clothing uh, trying to stay warm in the cold of winter with very little heat And, and my team was there in romania Representing West Virginia Baptists in an effort to establish a partnership with Romanian Baptists. But we weren't sure what we would find left of the church that had been so persecuted by an atheistic communist government for so many years. So we arranged to meet with several of the, of the pastors and leaders of these churches, and we were really amazed at how many people showed up. As we began to talk with those leaders, we heard stories of uh, of imprisonment, of torture. Uh, there were scars from cuts and burns and, and beatings, and, and they all witnessed of their accounts. Some of them had lost everything, materially and financially. But we also heard some amazing stories of God's grace, of God's providence, God's deliverance. In spite of the, the persecution, many people had come to know Christ. What did we find in that Romanian church as the dark veil of, of communism lifted? Uh, we found a powerful, pure church—a church characterized by genuine faith, humility, zeal, a love for the truth. We found a church that was that was filled with with prayer and worship and and they they eagerly soaked up everything that we taught we taught some basic preaching courses to pastors who had never previously had any kind of training we visited numerous uh, churches in that city and we preached multiple times but all the time i i kind of kept thinking they should be teaching us they they their their perseverance and their faithfulness truly were encouraging and inspiring you know throughout its history it, the seemingly paradoxical truth has been that the more that the church has been persecuted the greater has been its purity and strength and that was certainly true in the first century the church at smyrna or smyrna displayed a, a power and a purity that usually only comes from a, a, a church that has experienced uh, persecution. Uh, persecution purified and, and purged the church from sin, and the reality of their faith was readily apparent. See, hypocrites don't stay around to face persecution. Uh, false believers aren't willing to stay and endure the pain. Trials and persecution strengthen and refine Saving faith, but it exposes and destroys false faith. I want you to read with me about this great church in Smyrna. We're going to look at Revelation chapter two, beginning in verse eight. This is the word of God. And to the church, the church of Smyrna write, the first and the last who was dead and who has come to life, says this. I know your tribulation, your poverty, but you are rich, and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. It's interesting that the Greek word translated smyrna was used in the Septuagint to translate the Hebrew word for myrrh. Myrrh was a resinous substance that was uh, had a strong fragrance uh, it was sprinkled on the strips of cloth uh, when they were preparing a body for, for burial. And, and myrrh's association with death perfectly pictures the suffering church at Smyrna. Uh, the same way that, uh, that myrrh is produced by crushing a fragrant plant, the church at Smyrna was crushed by persecution and gave off a fragrant aroma of faithfulness to God. Though they suffered physical privation and and poverty, the Christians at Smyrna held on to their spiritual riches. And and appropriately, uh, Smyrna, or Smyrna, along with the church at Philadelphia, is one of the two churches that received no uh, reprimand from the Lord Jesus. Uh, uh, Scripture makes it clear that the persecution uh, and trials of christians is, a, is an integral part of our lives it, it happens and see in the light of that reality christ calls us to faithfully persevere in tribulation and through his instruction to the church at smyrna christ offers four certainties that encourage us us as believers to faithfully persevere in tribulation and the first The first certainty is this. Christ identifies personally with our tribulation. That's in verse 8. He says, The first and the last, who was dead and has come to life, says this. Christ identifies himself to this church at Smyrna as the first and the last. The first and the last is an Old Testament title that comes from the book of Isaiah, And it identifies God as the one and only God. He says, there there is no God but me. And in that passage, it says that God is the, the only God that there is. He says, I am the only one who knows all things. I'm the only one who knows what's coming, what will happen in the future. And in using this title, Christ is affirming his deity. He is the eternal, infinite God who existed before all things were created and who will exist even after all things are destroyed. Uh, He's the God who knows the future. Jesus Christ transcends time, space, and creation. And there's, there's absolutely nothing that he does not know or control. In ancient days, when most of the world was unexplored, and the lands of mystery were beyond every horizon. The, the ancient map makers would often write over those unknown areas, things like, here be dragons. Or in another land, uh, they would write, uh, here be fiery and burning sands. In another land where they didn't even know if there was land beyond that, they would say, here be the abyss. But Christians take the map of this world and the map of unknown things to come, and they write over it, here be Christ, here is my Lord, here is my Redeemer. See, Christ knows about all things. He's in control of all things. And maybe you feel stressed about the craziness that's happening in our world right now with this virus you know there are so many unknowns you don't know what's going to happen with your job or with your retirement or with our nation or with the world Uh, the future seems so uncertain You, you listen to all the experts on the news and nobody really seems to know see with Christ there are no unknowns there are no unexplored worlds christ knows all things and jesus says as the eternal god i will be with you through whatever tribulation you experience from the beginning to the end i'm the first and the last and there is nothing that i do not control so that's comforting to know but it's even more comforting to know that christ personally identifies with our tribulation he describes himself to this church as the one who was dead and has come to life in other words jesus saying i know what it's like to go through persecution and suffering i know what it's like to be on your knees beseeching god for deliverance sweating blood as it were I know what it's like to be falsely accused and and wrongly uh, condemned. I know what it's like to be mocked and publicly shamed. I know what it's like to be tortured and to suffer an agonizing death. I personally identify with what you are going through. The writer of Hebrews in 12, chapter 12, and verse 3 says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Christ had been through all of that, even unto death, and he has come to life. He has, he has conquered death. And what a comfort to hear from one who has experienced the greatest tribulation possible and has overcome, has conquered the one who lives forevermore. In, in John chapter 11, Jesus says, in verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Christ personally identifies with our tribulation. And that certainly is encouraging us as we seek to persevere in our tribulation. There's a a second certainty that encourages us. Christ knows the extent of our tribulation. In verse 9, he says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. And the blasphemy that by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Jesus talked to the church at Smyrna about three issues that, that brought them great sorrow. And he encourages them that he knows everything that his church endures first of all christ knows the persecution that we endure the greek word that translated here tribulation literally means pressure it was used to to describe a type of execution which they would lay a, a huge boulder on the body of a person and allow them to slowly to get that stone to crush the life out of that condemned person and it was used to describe the grinding of a millstone that turned wheat into flour and, and grapes into juice. Elypsis came to be the common word for trouble and difficulty in general, and the, the word for persecution specifically. And and the church at Smyrna was, fra- was facing intense pressure because of their faithfulness to Jesus Christ. And... There were two main reasons for that. Uh, first, Smyrna was a leading center or a cult of emperor worship. Rome had strangely personified itself as a goddess. Rome was viewed as a goddess, and Caesar was viewed as a as a god. And the first temple to the goddess, Dia Roma, as she was called had been designed and built in Smyrna. And in that temple, there was a a huge bust to the emperor where people would come in, they would offer incense, and they would declare that Caesar is Lord. And the people in that city willingly gave the emperor Domitian the reverence and the worship that he was asking of his subjects everywhere. The Christians were, were willing to submit to the emperor's civil authority, but they refused to bow down and worship him and call him Lord. And for that refusal, they were branded rebels and they faced the wrath of the Roman government. Secondly, the the Christians refused to participate in pagan worship in general. Smyrna, or Smyrna worshipped a, uh, an eclectic group of of, of gods and goddesses, including Zeus, Apollo, Aphrodite, Escalapes, and Sibyl. But because Christians refused to to wor, uh, worship these gods and worshiped an invisible god, they were declared to be atheists. And since much of Smyrna's social life revolved around pagan worship, the fact that the Christians didn't participate. They were considered anti-social. So in every respect, they were considered uh, contrary to life in Smyrna. And and Jesus says to them, He says, "I know the pressure that you under. I know it's a constant pressure. I recognize what you're experiencing, and and I know about your persecution. There, there was a there was another pressure that they felt." And that was financial. See, Christ knows the poverty we endure. Uh, there are two words in the Greek language for poverty. The first word uh, refers to the poverty of someone who, uh, who, who must live by constant labor. They have no margin in their life. They're just barely making it by. But they're working constantly to survive. The second word describes beggars. They're not people who are working but there are people that are simply living on the handouts of others this is the most extreme form of poverty and destitution and this was the kind of poverty that most of the believers at smyrna were experiencing many of them were slaves and such they were destitute there were some who had some resources but many of them had lost it in the persecution that they were experiencing and jesus says i know your poverty but he says I also know that you are rich. See, you have what really matters. You have salvation. You have grace. You have peace. You have the hope of eternal life. You have a compassionate and understanding Savior. And and the church at Smyrna was, was materialistically poor, but spiritually rich. In contrast to the, the church at Laodicea, which was materially rich but spiritually poor. You know, for some of us, the most terrifying thing that we could ever imagine happening to us would be losing our material wealth. I mean that's that's what our whole life has been about. I mean, we worked from the time we began to get an education to so that we can get a job, so we can have a career, so that we can earn all these things, so that we can invest. I mean, our whole life is built around all those material things. And when we the thought of losing those is just absolutely terrifying to so many people. But can I remind you that if you know Jesus Christ, That you are rich. That you have everything that really matters. That you have salvation. That you have His grace and His peace and His hope. That you have everything that you really need. Your material wealth can be taken away at any time. But your spiritual wealth is totally secure. And that's why Jesus told us, not to lay up treasure on earth but where where things can rust and corrupt and where thieves can steal, where things can happen to take all that we have. But he says to lay up treasure in heaven. And see, all the treasure that we lay up there, it's absolutely secure. At times like this, it challenges us to consider our priorities. Where is our treasure? And... Christ not only knows all of that, he knows the slander that we endure. You know, the believers at Smyrna faced blasphemy by those, it says, who say they are Jews and are not, but are of a synagogue of the ultimate blasphemer, Satan. In Smyrna, there was a significant Jewish population that was engaged in trying to poison the minds of the leaders and the people against the Christians. And this shocking statement that Jesus makes, it reveals that these Jews who hated Jesus, who rejected him, were were just as much a a part of Satan's work as were these pagan idol worshippers. Jesus used this strong term blasphemy, which was usually reserved for the hostile words against God, to indicate the intensity and asperity of their slander. They say they are Jews, and they were literal descendants of Abraham. But they were not descendants of Abraham in the sense of spiritually and worshiping the same God that they did you see they say they are Jews that is they say they worship God but in truth they were when they were slandering God's Messiah and his church they were blaspheming God and the unbelieving Jews commonly accused the Christians of things like cannibalism which was a misunderstanding of the, the Lord's Supper. They accused them of immorality based on the perversion of a holy kiss and the idea of calling one another brother and sister. Uh, they accused them of breaking up homes because sometimes when one spouse would become a Christian and the other didn't, there would be conflict. They accused them of atheism because the Christians rejected the pagan pantheon, of deities, and they accused them of being politically disloyal because they refused to, to give worship to Caesar. And some of uh, Smyrna's most wealthy and influential Jews had reported these accusations to the, the Roman leaders in an effort to destroy Christianity. These haters of the gospel, Jesus says, are of the synagogue of Satan. Synagogue is a is a is a Hebrew word that means the assembly. They were assembled not to worship God, but they were assembled to plan their attack against the church and against the Lord's Christ. So they're doing the very work of Satan. You know history tells us that the Jews in Smyrna instigated one of the most famous persecutions of all time. The martyrdom of Polycarp, the, the pastor of the church of Smyrna. The Jews took advantage of a high festival day when all the crowds were gathered and they were very easily excitable. And they 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 accused the Jews of all the things that we talked about and then they pointed the finger at Polycarp, at the pastor of the church. And they said, quote, this is the teacher of Asia, the father of the Christians, the destroyer of the gods, and teaches neither to offer sacrifice nor to worship. That is to Caesar. And when the crowd began to accuse him before the proconsul, the proconsul gave Polycarp a choice. He said, quote, if you will say Caesar is Lord, you can have your life. But if you say Jesus is Lord, it means death. And when Polycarp refused to say Caesar is Lord, they brought him to the stadium, where the proconsul again urged him, saying, Swear and I will set you at liberty. Reproach Christ. And Polycarp answered with these famous words. Eighty-six years I have served him, and he's never did me any harm. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? When the proconsul again tested him, the aged pastor responded, Since you are vainly urgent that I should swear by the fortune of Caesar and pretend not to know who I am or what I am, here I declare hear me declare with boldness, I am a Christian. And the proconsul a little later responded, I have a wild beasts at hand. To these will I cast you except you repent. But he answered, Call them then, for we are not accustomed to repent of what is good, nor to adopt what is evil. And it is well for me to change from what is evil to what is righteous. But again, the, the proconsul insisted, I will cause you to be consumed by fire, seeing that you despise the wild beast, if you will not repent. And Polycarp said, You threaten me with fire, which burns for an hour, and after a while is extinguished. But you are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and the eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. But why do you tarry? Bring forth what you will. And so the people led by the Jews on the Sabbath day, in violation of their law, I might add, gathered wood and piled it around Polycarp. As they were about to bind him, Polycarp said, leave me as I am. For he who gives me the power to endure the fire will grant me to remain in the flames unmoved. And so they left him in the flames, and as he burned, he cried out in prayer. I give you thanks that you have counted me worthy of this day and this hour, that I should have a part in the number of your martyrs, in the cup of your Christ, to the resurrection of eternal life. And so died Polycarp, pastor of the church at Smyrna know, church had every reason, humanly speaking, to to collapse, to fold. But instead, it remained faithful to Christ. Maybe you feel like that right now. Maybe you're going through some tribulation in your life. Maybe you're going through some things that nobody else knows about it. It may not be persecution, but you feel the the weight and the pain of that right now. Can I tell you, can I remind you that Jesus knows the full extent of everything that you're experiencing in your life? That He identifies with what you're experiencing, that He really cares, that He knows it all. Uh, Let that encourage you to persevere with Him. Uh, There's a there's a third certainty that encourages us to persevere. You see, Christ enables our endurance in tribulation. In verse 10, we read, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for ten days. After commending them for faithfully enduring under their persecution and tribulation, Jesus tells them, More is coming. He told them not to fear what they were about to suffer. And and what's surprising here is that you kind of expect that Jesus is going to offer to deliver them, that Jesus is going to bring some kind of consolation to the difficulty that they're they're suffering. But he doesn't. He doesn't say, I'm going to come against your enemies. He doesn't say, I'm going to rescue you. Instead, he tells them that the devil is about to cast some of you into into prison. He says, you're going to be tested with tribulation for ten days. I mean, he tells them that he's going to allow the devil to persecute them. That their their faith is going to be tested. The genuineness of their faith. And that tribulation is going to be intense. Remember when we looked at the uh, symbolic significance of numbers and we learned that ten is the number of intensification? The number of fullness. And so here when he says you have tribulation for 10 days, he's describing that this tribulation is going to be very intense. It's going to be short, but it's going to be intense. And really, that's what Jesus always promised his followers. Do you remember in Mark chapter 10 and verse 37 through verse 39 when when James and John came to Jesus And they said to him, grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you shall drink. And you should be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. How little... They understood. For James, that meant that he would die at the sword of Herod Agrippa, as we read about in the book of Acts. For John, that meant that he would be sitting on the Isle of Patmos after having been boiled in oil and and about to die of exposure and privation. For Peter, that meant that he would stretch forth his hands and, and be crucified upside down. For the Apostle Paul, Jesus said, Follow me and I'll show you how much you must suffer for my namesake. For the believers at Samaria, it meant, the, uh, uh, it meant that the devil was going to cast some of them into prison. And for us, it means that we must take up our cross and follow him. Because in John 16, Jesus said, In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. See, the promise of Jesus is not that we won't have tribulation but that he will give us the strength to endure what we must.
1: He enables
0: us to overcome just as he did. Polycarp said, Leave me as I am, for he who gives me the power to endure the fire will grant me to remain in the flames unmoved. See, God's purpose in permitting their imprisonment was so that they could be tested. They successfully endured this testing and showed the genuineness of their faith to the glory of God. And it also shows us that Satan cannot destroy genuine saving faith. The, the supernatural battle in Smyrna was just one of the age-long skirmishes that is occurring throughout history. You see, we're all in a battle with the devil. Our faith is constantly being tested. Satan's plan always is to attack the faith of the believer and to destroy that faith. But you see, the truth is Satan's attacks are unsuccessful on true believers. Satan tried to destroy Peter's faith. In in Luke chapter 22 and verse 31, Jesus warned him, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you, once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And you see, as, as with the believers at Smyrna, Jesus foretold Satan's attack on Peter. And Peter would successfully endure it. These people, these believers would successfully endure the persecution. And believers today can still endure successfully God's, uh, Satan's persecution. There's a final reality, a, a certainty that encourages us to persevere. See, Christ rewards our faithfulness in tribulation. In, in chapter two, and beginning, in verse ten, Jesus says, "Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life." He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt. By the second death. Now, Jesus doesn't offer any earthly deliverance for this church. He doesn't promise any way out of what they experienced, their tribulation. But he does promise a future reward to those who are faithful. To those who, who, who prove the genuineness of their faith by remaining faithful even unto death, they will receive, he says, a crown of life. Now, there are two words in the Greek language for crown. There's the diadem, which is the crown that a king wears, and there's stephanos, which refers to the victor's crown. And and the word used here is stephanos. Uh, It it refers to the laurel wreath that was placed on the head of the winner of events in the athletic games. And it also was used to describe the, a laurel wreath that was worn at weddings and feasts and festivals and celebrations. Uh, it was it was a time of happy occasions. Stephanos was used in one other way. It described the, the garland that were placed on the heads of citizens uh, to, to honor them for their community service. And so we often see those uh, on the coins that we find in ancient Smyrna. The crown or the reward of genuine saving faith is eternal life. Now, please understand, Jesus is not saying that if you can be faithful, and you can hang on until death, that he's going to give you eternal life. You see, you already have eternal life by, by grace through faith when you put your trust in Jesus Christ. Your salvation does not depend on you hanging on to Christ, but your salvation depends on Christ hanging on to you. And Jesus assures us in John 10 and verse 28, He says, I give you, I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Our perseverance our enduring, our being faithful unto death, proves the genuineness of our faith. It demonstrates that we are really His, His, and it assures us that we are in His hand, that He holds us, so we are secure. So the, the scriptures teach that true Christians will persevere. And when we persevere, Jesus will give us the crown of life, the gr- glorious crown that declares our final victory, a crown of joy and delight as we celebrate with him in joyous occasion and a reward for service well done in his kingdom. So as we have seen the, the phrase "he has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches, it closes all the seven letters. And it stresses the importance of what God says in Scripture, and it emphasizes our responsibility to take it to heart. So, are you hearing what the Spirit of God is saying to you? Are you receiving what He's saying? Listen to this final promise. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Now, as believers, we may be persecuted. And most of us will suffer a physical death. But we will never experience the second death, which is conscious, eternal torment in hell. And that word not in the Greek translates a double negative. It's the strongest no possible in that language. See, like Polycarp, we may experience the fires that burn for an hour and then cease, but we will know not never experience the eternal torment reserved for the unbelieving in hell. Friends, listen, that is a wonderful promise. We will never be touched by the second death. As we live in this difficult world filled with tribulation, our confidence is that Christ personally identifies with all that we endure. That he knows the full extent of whatever it is that we are experiencing. That he empowers us, he enables us to be able to do exactly what it is that he calls us to do. And that he promises us a reward when we do. Let's follow the example of the church in Smyrna. And faithfully persevere in the tribulation to the glory of Christ. Tune in next week, same bat time, same bat channel.